Stephen, have you ever had a like a real full-time job in your life? When was the last time you had mm-hmm. a full-time job? Mm-hmm. I've had a few. Because my question is going to be related to this. You what? want me to name a full-time job, the last full-time job I had? What's the last full-time job you had that you hated? The last full-time... I've only had a few full-time jobs. And the last one that I hated was... Um, it wasn't even full-time. No, I've only had two full-time jobs in my life then, really. Because um, I was playing in a band... So I had part-time jobs. Did you make money doing that? Playing in a band? Yeah. No. Well, we did get a record contract, so once we got the contract, we were paid to do our band. We were paid living expenses and so on and a small stipend, but then I I quit music to join the glamorous life of podcasting. I foresaw podcasting years ago. Um, But the last, I only really had two full-time jobs in my life. One was at New York Magazine, which I mostly loved, and one was at the New York Times, which I mostly loved. Were you a staff writer at New York York Magazine? In both cases, I was technically a staff editor uh, because there are a lot more editing jobs than writing jobs, and they're harder to get, and you have to be more experienced as a writer. But the reason I took those jobs was so that I could write. I never wanted to really be an editor, but I learned a lot. Uh, about uh, writing by editing, especially how bad most writing is. And it's a lot easier. You learn a lot about writing, good writing, I feel, from looking at bad writing and fixing it. Oh, my God. I have an- I have totally another question, but now I have to ask and change this episode completely, which is what would you notice as common bad writing mistakes from professional writers? Oh, from professional writers? Yeah, because you, well, you were, right. I'm assuming at these magazines you were editing people yeah, who published so other I'll places. Yeah, I'll tell you, when I made it to the New York Times, I felt like I had, you know, gotten somehow Climbed mysteriously to Mount Olympus, right? Because New York Times is edgy, cu- uh, cutting edge. <laughs> okay, maybe not that, but as journalism goes, it's, you know, considered pretty decent. And I felt like uh, I was. I, it was a bit of a mistake that I was hired. I didn't feel like I had the pedigree. You had that imposter syndrome. I'd have the imposter syndrome for sure. Um, but I was thrilled, and I worked really. I worked like really hard, and uh, and I liked it a lot. And uh, it could be intimidating. It could be a lot of things, but it was on balance a really great thing. Um, but the biggest revelation came very, very soon, which is immediately as an editor at the Times Sunday Magazine, you're getting raw manuscripts, rough, you know, first draft manuscripts from these writers who are very in the realm of journalism, at least very, very well known. But what was remarkable to me, and I'm not going to name names here because I really do respect these people, and I don't want to, you know, sure. I don't want to make them feel bad. But I would get, as the editor, I would get these articles written by some of the biggest names in journalism, including at the New York Times and elsewhere. There were a lot of freelancers, too, for the Times Magazine, unlike for the newspapers, only staffers for the most part. And they were dreadful. The pieces were dreadful. And I thought, I could not understand how these people with such amazing reputations who were apparently really good writers could turn in such crap stories. So I began to think, there, I, I think there are a lot of different reasons for it. Before I tell you my reasons, I'd be curious to know what, what you would suspect. I would suspect that there would be a lack of storytelling. I, I don't know. I have no idea what, you were, what, what things were submitted. But I think that the only good writing has to have a story in it. For me, what makes nonfiction pop is the same thing that makes fiction pop, which is the ability to tell a good story. I agree that is hugely, hugely, hugely important. And often the failures were the failures to put those stories together. But the thing that I couldn't understand is how did people with such great reputations turn in pieces that were so bad? And I came to a a couple conclusions. One is, by the time you have that reputation, you've been good for a long time, and you're no longer that good. 
either you've deteriorated, either you don't work that hard anymore, which I think was a very, very, very common thing. Like, you know, if I had a 500-word piece to write, 500 words is really short. If I had a 500-word piece to write for the New York Times magazine, I would spend elapsed time, including reporting and everything, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 hours on it. Right. So now we're talking about people whose reputations were much, much bigger than mine. So you think they just called it in and then their reputation would get people to read and like it? I think there was a lot of calling it in. But then once you have the reputation, then you have an army of editors who basically rewrite your stuff. Ah. And that was the role that I was kind of cast into. I'm not saying there weren't some— But what was bad about their writing? They were were bad in a hundred different ways. They were shapeless— they were devoid of interesting things. What does shapeless mean? Shapeless means the beginning isn't a beginning, the middle isn't a middle, and the end wasn't an end. I, I don't. I still don't understand. I'm, it means that every narrative has some kind of flow, some kind of narrative flow, whether it's chronological, whether it's thematic, whether it's intentionally disjointed and kind of pointillist, but it would basically be someone sitting down and typing instead of writing. We'll have more to say about this question of the day in just a minute. But first, we have to take a short break. Today, FreshBooks also has their very own question of the day for you. If you run your own business or are an entrepreneur, then listen up. Today's question is for you. What's the first thing that you feel when I say words like invoicing, expense reporting, and time tracking? Tired, stressed, anxious, frustrated? With FreshBooks, you can say goodbye to those negative associations. FreshBooks is the amazing, intuitively designed invoicing software that helps small business owners spend way less time on paperwork and stay effortlessly organized. You'll be creating and sending invoices in minutes, watching expenses practically organize themselves, and probably wondering why you didn't start sooner. Try FreshBooks free for 30 days. Just go to freshbooks.com question and enter our show name, question of the day in the how did you hear about us section while signing up. Again, just go to freshbooks.com slash question and enter our show name question of the day while signing up to get your free 30-day trial. The biggest conclusion I came to with writing, and I think there are a lot of parallels with this with many other things, whether it's entrepreneurship, sports, and so on, is that when we look at these things from the outside and we think about what makes a good writer, a good entrepreneur, a good athlete, whatever, if you don't know a lot about how the thing gets made, you tend to think it's this one cluster, this one kind of ability, whereas in fact it's not. It's a whole bunch of different things, right? Often. I shouldn't say always, but often. So for someone to write a really good piece of, let's say, narrative nonfiction, right, a good book, something in the New York Times Magazine, I think there are at least a few really different things going on. You have to really be able to report and research, meaning find out stuff that people don't know that's interesting, and it has to be true, and you have to do it deeply. So one is like reporting and researching. Number two is then you have to really be able to think and analyze, not just spit it out, but say what it means, how it relates to other phenomena and so on. And three is you have to really be able to write. You have to make good sentences and good paragraphs and good flows. And there aren't that many people who can do all those things. Just as within sports, with golfers, there aren't that many people who can hit the ball really far and then can hit irons to a really narrow portion of the course and then who can putt well. I I think that's interesting. It's sort of like how some uh, I know of some really great nonfiction, even narrative nonfiction writers who simply can't write novels. 
for mm. instance. Mm-hmm. So they don't. It's two different skills somehow. Like uh, na- name a name a writer you think that you really like well, the nonfiction. Well, well. Uh, you pointing at yourself there? No, no, I would be pointing at myself. <laughs> Maybe I should be. But uh, there's people who are friends of mine who have written great narrative nonfiction who have tried and failed at the novel mm. aspect and vice versa. Yeah. See, that's what I think is hard when people are trying to become better at something, whatever the something is, whatever. just fill in the blank in your mind where whatever the something is. We tend to look at the final product or the outcome of or the output of the people who are really good at it without considering enough the component parts that get to the good. Like food. Imagine like if you knew nothing about preparing food at all. You didn't know there were such things as recipes or techniques or heat or chemistry or any of that. And you ate this amazing meal that somebody did know all that stuff about. And then you thought, whoa, I, I'm going to recreate that. I know what's in it. I'm going to cut the stuff up to be the same shape. And I'm going to arrange it in the same way. And Whoa, why does it not taste anything like that? I think that's what writing is. I think that's what business is. I think that's what sports are. And I think that um, by shortcutting the inputs, we overestimate the simplicity of the outputs. So you're saying that people who are good, like let's say reporters and famous reporters, are now trying to do these longer narrative nonfictions that they would submit to you, you think they didn't have that skill set for the Correct. longer narrative exactly nonfiction? exactly right. The way I used to think of it is, if my look, I made up this troika. Nobody, I'm not saying this is real. I made it up. You have to be able to report and research one, think and analyze two, and write three. And the rule of thumb that I came to was very few people are triple threats. Yeah, like I'd say with like entrepreneurship, there's uh, there's technology, there's management, and there's sales. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to be good at all three, and those are three very different skills. So what would you say of those three, which of them is most easily um, delegated or offshore? Technology. Really? Yeah. So people sort of think we live in this knowledge economy, but knowledge now can be outsourced. So technology can be outsourced, uh, but it's hard. you can't outsource management, and, and it's hard to outsource sales unless it's like cold calling sales. Uh, so technology, which is the knowledge part, uh, can be outsourced. Mm. Tell me the story of a startup that succeeded despite having like one really, 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 really weak component. Well, Facebook is a great example. So Facebook had the technology and had the management. Okay, they, he, Mark Zuckerberg really quickly took advantage of the management skills of Peter Thiel, Sean Parker, and then later on Sheryl Sandberg. But he did not have a sales component yet until... Uh, he was already had hundreds of millions of a hundred million users, say, and that was because that he was able to raise money to support not having the sales component. So if you're missing one of the components, money can replace that <laughs> for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. But you know, I do agree with you that writing, if two out of three is there, you're okay as long as you can tell a story. Yeah, I I think the power of a story can almost never be underestimated. And my reason for believing that is a little bit cynical, which is that, you know, when you think about why do we like stories so much, you know, I think there are the kind of psychological reasons and the almost theological reasons and so on. But I think the biggest one, or one that we overlook often, is a psychological explanation, which is that we're all narcissists to some degree. So when you tell me a story, even if it's about... I'm definitely a narcissist. Even if the story is about you... That I, as the listener, who's the narcissist, 
is is subtly inserting myself into that story and thinking, oh, well, when this happened, I would have done this. Or when that happened, I would have thought that instead. Yeah. And so I think that one reason that we so love and believe in stories is because they allow us to insert themselves in the narrative even where we don't belong. James and I have many more questions to ponder. We're going to tell you what we'll be talking about next time. But first... FreshBooks will make billing for your time and expertise quick and easy. FreshBooks will make creating and sending invoices, organizing your expenses, and tracking your billable hours the best part of your workday. Go to freshbooks.com question for your free 30-day trial. Next time on Question of the Day. But even with my kids, I don't take pictures of them in their performances. You don't? No, I just watch the performance. And do they have... And by the way, the performance is boring. Like, I have yet to watch a kid's performance that is better than Star Wars, for instance. Or or I have have yet to watch a kid's performance that's better than Schindler's List. 